following sermon was recorded live at Foundation Church of Fredericksburg in downtown Fredericksburg, Virginia. Good morning, brothers and sisters, friends and guests. We are all genuinely glad to have you here today on this Lord's Day. Welcome to this gathering of Foundation Church. So anybody that was here last week or is a regular member of this church, hopefully you recall that we are in the middle of a, a little mini-sermon series. So typically at Foundation, we just preach right through either books or sections of the Bible. Uh, but in between those kind of longer expositional series, um, we, we will often pause to address a particular topic that the pastors of the church believe would be particularly useful for our own individual and unique members. So we will, we will kind of select something that we, we think would be valuable to our body. Uh, and so in this, this little three-week series in between the, the spring and the summer, we are foolishly attempting to address in three sermons the question of, what does God want me to do with my life? And similar issues of calling and vocation. And so, of course, you're aware that no number of sermons could ever answer that question, and the answers to that question are best found in conversation in your small group, with your families, with your pastors, with your friends, and your fellow members here at church. So what we're instead trying to do with this series is to give us all then, as a group, a common framework, a similar foundation, a, a set of language and assumptions and suppositions that we can use to then work together to determine the answer for each of us, what does God want me to do with my life? And so last week we discussed contentment with a reminder that we are all to live as we are called. For God ordains our lives and we are to receive his wisdom in that, joyfully and obediently. And this week, we're going to turn to some of Jesus' so-called hard teachings, as he calls us to be rich towards God, no matter our life circumstances. And so we're going to be looking at a couple of parables, or one parable and some teaching attached to it. And it's useful to remember them when dealing with parables, especially, that most of the Bible was written with the assumption that the audience would be a listener and not a reader. Most people either couldn't read or didn't have access to written materials, and so a priest or a prophet or a household leader or a pastor would read a section of the Bible to a group of gathered listeners. And so as you're going through a parable, you have to realize that the people that heard Jesus say this only got to hear it once. They didn't have time to go back to deep reflection or study. They couldn't bust open a commentary to figure out exactly what such and such word meant. They heard it as it came out. And so we have this tendency with all of our, our luxuries of you know, many copies of the printed Bible and online resources, and you can go find a thousand different sermons on this passage if you want to. We have this tendency to overanalyze or overexplain or overstudy something like a parable. And it always seems to me that when we go to do this little overstudying maneuver, we always study a little bit deeper and a little bit deeper until we get to the point where it doesn't apply to me anymore. And then we're good. So instead of doing that, we are going to analyze these teachings somewhat, but instead of trying to overinterpret them, I really encourage you, especially as I read it all together the first time, to simply listen and let the teaching strike you in the way that it naturally wants to. Jesus spoke these words with intent. He spoke them to a, an audience that was hearing just as you do, so you're, you're not missing out on anything that you need to understand what Jesus is saying here. So simply listen and hear as Jesus speaks these words to his audience. What do you think he meant for them and you 
to take away from this parable. This is Luke 12, 13 through 48. Someone in the crowd said to him, to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, and yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried, for all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So this introduction, this, this man who asks Jesus about his inheritance, it seems like the kind of thing where maybe just a segue into the next parable and we can skip over. But it is, it is connected both to our teaching today and actually to our teaching from last week. So this, this inheritance dispute that the man brought up, he said, Jesus, tell my brother to split the inheritance with me. This inheritance dispute would probably have been consuming for this man. Because in the time, an inheritance would typically be given only to the eldest son. An inheritance would consist of maybe flocks or land. And if you had you know, three or five sons and you split it up evenly between them, what would be a sustainable and valuable amount of property would quickly be divided away into something that wasn't really enough to raise a family or sustain a life and so would be essentially worthless. And so the, the oldest son would typically get the inheritance, but with the responsibility and the expectation that he would then deal with it as was right. He would care for his family. He would divide it up if necessary. He would do what his father would have wished, even though it was, strictly speaking, legally all his. And so this, this younger son is, presumably this younger son, is probably coming to Jesus and saying, hey, I have a good idea for what to do with our inheritance, and my older brother won't listen to me. I think we should split it. And so you can already see how this kind of connects us back to the topic of contentment from last week. This, this inheritance dispute would determine whether or not this man would be comfortable or have to work all the days of his life. It determined whether or not he would inherit his father's business or have to start from scratch on his own. This was a big deal. This was life-changing, potentially. 
And Jesus, of course, the way he does, sidesteps the man's question, cuts his chest open, and speaks straight to his heart. Because it's not a question about a legal inheritance dispute. It's a, it's a question about the covetousness in this man's heart. He's consumed by the wrong things. Jesus said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Let's take a moment and consider what are different kinds of wealth. Even, even this man, you know, we think wealth, okay, money, you know, dollars, a number. But this man asking about the inheritance, he was not asking about how his brother would split this pile of gold coins evenly, because that's not really a question. He was probably talking about land or flocks or a business or property of some kind. So wealth is not necessarily you know, a numerical amount of money, but it's even more than just property or goods or assets. You know, in anything, even in this text, you know, we, we understand that wealth really applies to anything that one would strive for, anything that one would, would dedicate his life to or direct his efforts into. So money, possessions, experiences, free time, luxury, a life of comfort, a life of freedom from responsibility, maybe even one's children. They are an inheritance from the Lord, which implies that they have a value, a wealth, a richness to us. Maybe your children's success or their comfort or their freedom from responsibility. Maybe it's even something more abstract like your intelligence or your friendships or your status or how impressive you appear on social media. All these things are things that our hearts strive for. They're things that we lay up for ourselves. They're things that we point to and say, I got this pile of stuff over here that I feel pretty good about, or I don't have this pile of stuff over here and I really need to get some more. All of this is wealth that our hearts strive after. And let me also be clear too, everybody in this room is the rich man in this parable. This is kind of what I meant about over-interpreting. Like, well, you know, I don't feel rich, or you know, maybe you, you have like a student loans and your net worth is technically negative, or you live paycheck to paycheck. Even if you are like receiving government assistance, you're still very rich. You know, we don't really worry that much about like waterborne diseases or, um, you know, like our children mysteriously dying of unknowable circumstances. We're not super concerned about like starving to death. We're all pretty well off in terms of those literal needs and even the level of comfort. I mean, that what we can attain with, with even what would be considered like poverty income in this day and age is vastly, infinitely more than anyone listening, probably even the rich man in Jesus' parable could have imagined. So this parable, you know, is directed towards the listener. The listener is you. You are the rich man. And so Jesus tells this parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do for I have nowhere to store my crops? He said, I will do this, I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and all my goods, and I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So let's make a few observations about this rich man especially since these parables are meant to be straightforwardly transplanted onto you. If you're the rich man, let's understand him. After all, when you hear Jesus tell a parable about a farmer, do you say to yourself, well, I'm not a farmer, so guess this one doesn't apply to me. You know, of course not. So even if you don't think yourself rich, you're meant to see yourself as the rich man. 
The rich man is given much by God, and he's outwardly successful, and yet God himself calls this rich man a fool. Now, a fool is no petty insult. It's not, it's not like saying, you know, you, you, you dummy, you know, you made a mistake. A fool says in his heart there is no God. A fool in Scripture is one who, who should know better and chooses the path of unrighteousness. He chooses to reject God. And so let's, just, let's first observe that this rich man, this rich fool, you know, he's just assumed to be rich. We don't hear about how he got his money. We don't know what form his wealth comes in or where it came from. Maybe he worked hard. Maybe he didn't. He got it all in a silver spoon. What we do know is that God gave him good crops that year. This, this entire story is premised on the fact that this, this rich man just kind of is. And that's sort of the opposite of the way that we think of, of wealth and richness in many ways. You know, we, like culturally, we have a very high view of personal agency. Um, you know, I think part of that is because our lives are not so affected by randomness. You know, if we have a real rainy year this year, it doesn't really bother any of us that much. I mean, there's a few people that are actually farmers that might care about that, but, you know, so-called acts of God don't, don't matter that much. And so we kind of have this idea of like, well, if it's not an act of God, it must be an act of me. And so, you know, I'm rich because of myself. And that's one, not true. And two, definitely not the way the original listeners would have thought of this. I mean, when Jesus says, hey, imagine a rich man, you know, the people listening, Jesus might as well have said, hey, imagine a guy that's seven feet tall. Because like nothing that they could do could make them into that man. Either you're rich or you're not. Either God has made you a rich man or not. And so as we think about, you know, our calling and our contentness, you know, either God has made you this certain type of person that you want to be or, or maybe not, but either way, Jesus says to you, hey, you know, don't, don't store up these things that you've been given. Whatever riches God has given you, whether you like them or not, whether it's what you want or not, you know, I'm talking to you because you've been given by God certain richness, certain wealth in some way, and it's still your responsibility to use this properly, not to store it up for yourself, not to be a fool but rather to be rich towards God. <clears throat> and so even more like the rich man, maybe you could even put yourself in the shoes of the, the man that asked Jesus to divide up the inheritance. You know, because of our richness and our freedom that we've all been granted by God's decree, having been born here and now, you could have been born anytime or anywhere, but God chose to make you be here and now in this great and rich place that we live in. And yet we're still aspirational. You know, we still, we still have the belief that maybe the next level of wealth or the next degree of freedom or the next whatever we want, we could, we could get there. We could make it. And so we come to Jesus and we say, hey, you know, make my brother split up my inheritance. Hey, Jesus, fix my problems. Hey, Jesus, give me this next thing that I want. Which, you know, the thing is, that's actually not even wrong, right? The rich man was not condemned for being rich. And the, the man who was asking about his inheritance, Jesus didn't say, you know, you don't need that. He just said, that's not really, that's not really what I am talking about. You're missing the point. But because we see the path to making it, and because we're all hard workers, and because we're all really busy, you know, we, we tend to think that like, our self-improvement is our path to storing up wealth. And you know, even, even, even if you say, like I would, you know, I know that God has given me all this stuff that I have. I act as if I gave myself all that stuff that I have. And I act as if I, I could give myself more of all that stuff that I have. You know, I mean, you can always get a new job or find a better investment strategy. We could, we could wake up a little bit earlier or tweak your schedule or, you know, watch some motivational YouTube videos or TikToks, you know, there's 10 tips and a new app to get your habits straight and rise and grind and life hacks. And in every part of our life, we're, we're being told, you know, no matter how good things are in an objective sense, 
if you wanted to turn it up a notch, you could, if you just try a little bit more. We're always chasing after those bigger barns. And I know that I'm kind of poking fun of this lifestyle a little bit, and I'm right in the middle of it with you. You know, I picked this sermon out of the three in the series because it was the one that I needed preached to me. And so, you know, I'm preaching to myself as much as you. Um, but also, like, it's good to turn a critical eye towards some of the cultural waters that we swim in because the thing is, like, we, we live in this world that says all these things, and it's really easy to look at the Bible and say either, like, oh, they were, they were just like us. And, you know, humans have always been humans, but a lot of stuff about their life circumstances was very different than ours. Or on the other hand, we could look and say, like, oh, well, that, that's kind of different from my situation, so it doesn't apply to me. And so it's, it's useful to kind of, you know, make some of these cultural observations and just, just think and understand you know, it, this, is, this is what I'm living in. This is the reality that God has given me. And so how do I, how do I understand and analyze this? Uh, but anyway, most of us, you know, most of us here, we live kind of with this cultural disposition and not saying that it's wrong to have these tendencies. You know, after all, the, the rich man's sin wasn't to be rich and it wasn't even to build the bigger barns, right? It was his, it was his soul. So saying, hey, I've, I've got it pretty good. Yeah, you do. Congratulations. And saying, hey, I could get better, that's actually also still fine. And building bigger barns is okay. And taking that new job or, or whatever it is that you're, you're trying to accomplish with your life, like none of that was the, none of that was the issue. But it was rather the, the idolatry of this rich man's soul. You know, his, his covetousness for more and the next thing and a little bit extra on top of what he already had and his lack of richness towards the Lord. The Lord gave him all of this stuff. The Lord gives you all of this stuff. And so your, your richness is you know, not your own. And anything that you strive for needs to be first framed in richness towards the Lord. So let, let's, consider, let's consider some of the idols that might plague our souls as like the rich man. You know, like money is the free square in the middle. You know, we all have it. We all want more of it. Better money, better house, food, clothes, toys, trips, comfort. Like you, you can exchange money for kind of anything. So that one's really easy. But money also equals some things that are kind of unmitigated good, right? I mean, money equals like a better diet and like a safer car and a better school for your kids and, you know, uh, bonding time on vacation, better health care. Like, come on, all those things are like objectively just good, right? And money can be transformed into all those things. So it's not, it's not the money that's the problem, right? But money is so, so dangerous. Easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Because with money, because money is so easily exchangeable for all these things that we want and need and are perfectly legitimate in wanting and needing, because money is so easy to exchange for these things, money kind of gives you this belief that you don't, need God or his people or his law. And with money comes the pride and the selfishness and the covetousness and the belief even unspoken that one's life consists in the abundance of his possessions. It's too easy to measure. You look at that bank account, the number goes up or it goes down. Are you winning or losing? And so like all idols, the root of all sins related to money is the belief in one's soul that the treasures of man are greater than the treasures of God. I treasure my paycheck, and I treasure my savings account, and I treasure my retirement plan, and my house, and my car, and my shoes, and my organic whatever, and, and these things, none of them, none of them are the problem. But do you treasure them more than the Lord? Let's put a pin in that for just a minute 
and maybe try to dig up a few more idols before we look to a remedy. How about another common idol today? Time. Everybody's got the same amount, so that means it's exempt from being an idol, right? You can't earn more time. But time also means leisure and freedom and retirement. And time also means the convenience to do other things that you want to do or time to, time to invest more or time to get another job and make even more money that you could, I guess, exchange for more time somehow. But time for what? Is it time for yourself or is it time for the Lord? Maybe if I invest enough time working today, you know, I put in my 40 and I get the rest of my life for free. And of course, we're all too busy, right? We all have too little time to rest like God commands. So it's pretty easy to see how time also, like money, can be an idol. And in many ways, you can exchange money for time. You can hire somebody to deliver your groceries or clean your house or you know, educate your kids or, or, or whatever. So even time is kind of straightforwardly convertible with money. And if I, if I could really try to strike a nerve, maybe, is, is being busy also an idol? I mean, we've all, we've all met, you're, you know, if this is you, just you know, pretend it's not, but we've all met those people who are really proud of how busy they are. Ooh, don't have time for that. Hey, I'm super busy. Look at how important I am. Look at how important this stuff that I've filled my life with is. It's more important than whatever you're talking to me about. And, you know, we're all busy. Like, moms work 24 hours a day. It's, that's busy. It's busy. But busyness can't be an idol because your calendar, just the same as your bank account, can be an altar to your idol. But this, this attachment in your heart to your busyness, to your time, to your schedule, is that not proof that you treasure whatever you're converting your time into more than the Lord? Whatever you're spending your time on, whether or not it's a feeling of accomplishment or, or whatever you're trying to do with your kids or the, the, the second job or the whatever, is, is that not, are you not treasuring that more than the Lord when you chase after it and store it up, pile it up for yourself? I treasure the fact that since I've got so much stuff in my life that, you know, I, don't, I, don't, I can't possibly serve God in all the ways He commands. None of these things are bad inherently, but do you treasure them more than the Lord? And one more idea, this one's like maybe a little bit more modern. I mean, it's not. Everyone, it's status. Everyone's, you know, always competed over status. But we have, we have this really big platform and this big world where everybody can see everybody. And even, you know, regular people can go viral. Like the, the folks that Jesus were talking to, you know, they didn't really have a chance to make it big quite like we do. So status has become kind of a, a little bit of a unique cultural idol that we also, also have to consider and, and fear. You know, time and money are bundled up into status because a lot of times, you know, your shoes, your car, your house, or whatever, it confers status upon you. But there's a lot of other stuff that can drive you, too, and it's different for everybody. You know, some people, like I said, that dollar figure is just, it might as well be the highest score on an arcade game. It's just numbers getting bigger. I win. Um, but for other people, you know, the money is just a means to an end. I can buy this and I'll be cool or fancy or people will think I'm richer than I am or I'll be trendy or environmentally conscious or a good mom. If I do these activities and other people see me doing them, then everyone will know that I'm this certain kind of person or I'm raising my kids a certain way or I'm better than you at whatever thing that I'm doing and I'm living a life of luxury and fun and I was into that before it was cool. And if anyone doesn't think that I have myself in mind, you know, I aspire to be seen as a person who's too good to post things on social media, right? So that it gets you that way too. I'm not exempt or free from this. 
And again, none of these things are bad. It's not bad to enjoy your things. It's not bad to share them with other people. It's bad to treasure them more than the Lord. Do you treasure your money or your time or your status or whatever idol is in your heart more than the Lord? Yes, you do. Because I know what was going through my mind as you heard me talk about all these things because as I was writing them, this is what was going through my mind. You hear one example and you're like, ooh, got me. But then you hear the next example and you say, oh, actually, I'm way too good to suffer from that idol, so I feel better now. Right? I'm too good for that one. And we look down on the other people that idolize that, that one dumb thing that nobody would actually idolize if they were in their right mind. But the point isn't to check off the fewest number of boxes in the list. The point is, you're the rich man. Your soul says to itself, lay me up treasure for myself. Rest, relax, eat, drink, be merry with your money and your time and your leisure and your status. Build those barns. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? The answer, of course, they're gods. They're already gods. They're gods now, and they will certainly be gods after you die. And so what, then, is the remedy for this idolatry? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. They're not opposites. Laying up treasure for yourself is not mutually exclusive with richness towards God. Because after all, you can't be rich with something you don't have. But it's the perfect answer, right? Richness towards God is the classic Jesus answer because it's not a checkbox. You can't, he didn't say, give 10% of your income to the church and you're good to go because that would be <coughs> skipping over the condition of the heart that is the real problem. Jesus says, let me tell you about a rich man and the Lord. You're the rich man and the Lord is the Lord. You figure it out. What in your own soul do you treasure? You can't drop a check in the box and move on with your life on this one. And that might be the step you need to take, right? God commands us to be generous and give and support the work of the ministry. So if you're, if you're not doing that, then you're not being rich towards God. But if you are doing that, you are probably still not being rich towards God. So whether you feel rich or not, whether or not you're the firstborn in line for the inheritance or whatever the rest of your life you think looks like and if it's up or down or if inflation is going to wipe out your retirement savings or whatever, what really matters is are you being rich toward God? So in this series, we're asking ourselves, how do I know what God wants me to do with my life? Okay, one, last week, contentment. How do I know what God wants me to do with my life? Well, step one, look at what you're doing with your life. What has God given you? What family? What life? What place do you live? What church? What job? What has God called you to? Where has God put you? So that's step one. That's what God wants you to do with your life. It's not that you can't change, but you've got to start there. Two, ask yourself, am I being rich towards God? So in some ways, this is like the opposite of last week's sermon, right? Last week we heard, be content with your calling, and this week could maybe be like, don't be too content. Right? Because it's easy to see how a comfortable and happy life, like if I'm super content with my life, then maybe that tempts me to be stingy with God. You know, you get defensive. Like, I gotta draw my little circle and keep, you know, I like this. I'm not, don't touch this. You know, God, this is, thank you, but this is mine. Right? But then it's, it's also really easy to say, if you're not content with your life, it's really easy to be like, oh yeah, I'll totally be rich with God once I 
Once you what? Once you get the next job, once you make enough money, once you get out of debt, once you pay that last bill, once things aren't quite so they're tight right now, once I, once I get the thing that I want, once I get married, once I have kids, then I'll be rich towards God. Once I retire, then I'll be rich towards God. And so whether or not your calling is or isn't what you want now, you are called to be rich towards God with what you have today. Because after all, might your soul not be required of you this very night. So I have, I have some suggestions and some ideas, right? Because this, this sermon series is meant to be for, you know, for us, for our body. We didn't just pick it randomly. It's supposed to be like unique to us. And I actually, I have, I think, some insights about our, our body and our society and kind of the people in this room. And so I hope that I can make some useful judgments that would help you consider questions that you might be overlooking or, or trying to push off to the side. Um, but before I do that, I actually, I want to preemptively address an objection. Uh, and actually, Jesus does, right? Because the, the next words out of his mouth are, are in fact, answering probably what's going to be the first thing that comes to, to a lot of people's minds. Because like any good shepherd, Jesus, he understands his sheep. He understands the frailty of our faith, and he understands that the real struggles of daily life are hard. He, he lived them. He had a job and a, and a, a family to take care of, you know, not a wife and kids, but like he was responsible for his mother and he had to care for her and he, he was like kind of an older brother to the disciples. He knew like you got to feed people, you got to work, you get sick, life sucks sometimes. And so then when he says be rich towards God, he knows that it's a big ask. And he knows that we might say things like, yeah, no, that's cool. I'll be rich towards God, but like I, I do need to be responsible. You know, I have, to, I have to provide for my family. I need to give a good life to my kids. I need to make sure not to burden the people around me. You know, once I get my house in order, of course, I'll have extra time and money and a little less debt and a little more income and a little more time. And when the kids are a little older, you know, then, then I'll have enough. Then I'll have enough to be rich towards God. Because right now, you know, things, things are kind of tight. I mean, Jesus, haven't you read like the book of Proverbs? All this stuff is in there. And so Jesus says to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? Do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Jesus understands your daily needs are real. The rich man in the parable, his richness was food, something we all need. And your concerns for your family are good and true. Your desire to be responsible and steward what God has given you is right. And so Jesus is not delivering a message to neglect your obligations, right? You've been given a calling, and part of that calling is taking care of things that have to be done. Jesus does not say to stop working or stop providing or stop meeting your obligations, but what he does say is, do not be anxious, for life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Anxious is a word that we should pause to examine because it does get thrown around a lot. 
you know, some people are like more like nervous tempered, like, oh, I'm an anxious person, you know, or an anxious driver, whatever. Some people have anxiety disorders, which is like a serious, a medical condition. Some people are, you know, anxious that the weather is going to be bad this afternoon and ruin their golf game. And that's like a different way of using it. And so let's like, let's consider the context of what Jesus is saying to kind of dial in what we mean by this word anxiety. Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? So this anxiety that we are to flee is not you know, a responsible concern for real needs, but rather a dwelling on things out of our control, or perhaps more pernicious, things that we think that by worrying we can force into our control. Jesus points us to the wonders of creation to direct our hearts away from the desire to control our lives and towards the fact that God knew what he was doing when he gave you the life that he did. Just as the lilies and the ravens are created to serve their calling that God gave them, so are you. And so in the term used here, this, this anxiety, as Jesus speaks of it, can actually be an idol unto itself. So I, I don't, like, don't want to overstep this, so I'll, I'll probably try to get away from that particular word just because you know, when people hear it, it means a lot of things. Like not all forms of anxiety as we talk about them today are sinful. Some of them are like part sinful and part not. It's complicated. Not for today. But this anxiety that Jesus talks about, this idolatry of the heart, this fruitless, this fretfulness about tomorrow could manifest itself in fear or stinginess or selfishness. You know, you gotta, you gotta defend what you've got. I can't, I can't give that up because I might need it. Or maybe even in wasteful spending, right? There's kind of a tendency in some of us to uh, you know, say like, well, I don't know what tomorrow will hold, so you know, spend it if you got it. Or perhaps you idolize control. You want to have control over your life circumstances. You are in control of your needs. The stuff that comes up at you, handle it. Or maybe you're anxious about tomorrow because you want to see how it fits in with your plans, right? You idolize that security. Because if I do this today, then tomorrow will work out. Of course, none of us are entirely ready if our souls are required of us tonight, but you know, life insurance is a good idea. You should all be saving for your retirement but what if God requires you to sell your possessions and move to the unreached people groups? Can you control such a thing with even a moment of worry? If anything, worry serves only to prevent us from obedience when God requires things of us outside of our best laid plans. And so what then does Jesus provide as our remedy for these idols of, of control and security? Do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried, for all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also." Seek his kingdom, or, or said a different way, live with an eternal, God-centered perspective. See, when you realize, when your heart understands that God sees your needs and cares for you, and even more than that, that he wants to give you his kingdom, these daily needs are less consuming. They don't go away, but they don't, your, your heart does not need to idolize them. What, what is this kingdom that God has for his people? You know, when God says, I want to give you my kingdom, what is he talking about? So first of all, consider everything around you, actually. When God created everything, he gave it to man to rule over. He said to be fruitful and multiply and to cultivate it and to take dominion over it. 
And so all of this, this whole world and every part of it, when it was untainted by sin, so every labor and joy and beauty and every new child and every new day was given as God's kingdom to man. But we also, we all know that something's not right with that because there's a lot wrong in the world. See, when man sinned, he was corrupted, and so also was the world with him. And so now, instead of working joyfully and getting the satisfaction of a job well done, we also have to suffer and toil. We have to strive to earn our bread. And so along with the joy of being fruitful and multiplying the beauty of children, we get pain and toil. It's hard, and it's not joyful like it was meant to be. See, we have inherited the Creator's world, but impoverished it with our sin. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, raised us up with Him, and seated us with Him in the heavenly places, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Jesus Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not the result of works that no one may boast, for we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. That we serve a God who is rich in mercy and kindness, for He offers through the blood of Jesus who died in our place for sins forgiveness, and not only that, but adoption into His family. And if we are His sons, then also the inheritors of His kingdom. A kingdom not only of the perfect new creation that will one day come, but a kingdom of richness, of mercy, and of joyful work, and security, and peace, and everything that the world was meant to be, free from sin and its consequences. So see that the Lord, when He invites you to take up His kingdom instead of your worries and your idols, He is not asking you to give up good things. He is saying, provide yourself with a treasure in heaven that does not fail. He is offering you something much better than whatever it is that your heart is idolizing and storing up for yourself. Whatever bigger barns you have in mind, God's are bigger. So don't be anxious and clutch to what you have because God is offering you everything. That man who found the treasure in the field and he sold everything he owned to buy it, is not the kingdom of God worth this to you? And don't think that God means for you then to live a life of spiritual fullness and material desperation. He cares for the flowers and the birds, and He cares for you and your needs. He is here to meet them. And to that end, He has given you much. He has given you the time and place that you are born, which is glorious and an incredible blessing that we do not appreciate. But He has also given you many, many helps. Consider the body. Consider the church. We're here for you. The church is one of God's embassies on earth, a representation of His kingdom here to show us a little taste of what His kingdom will be in a world that is not yet to come. So, you know, many of us and myself in this category, we just need to, to frankly, to cast aside the idolatry of control and security that give way for worry and selfishness because not many of us are in physical need, perhaps in want of comfort or security, but not in need for tomorrow. But if that, if that is you, if you are in need, if you are truly anxious for tomorrow's needs, please let God's people help you. 
For this is one of the ways that God has given to care for his people, one of the foremost even. Even from the time of Israel, God designed for his people to care for the needy among them. And so if that is you, God is offering all of us to you. Please talk to one of the pastors here so that the church can care for you. So now, as we learned last week, we are not to look upon our life's calling with disdain or regret, simply waiting until we get to the next thing. But likewise, we're also not to hold on to our lives as they are so tightly that we are not ready to release them when God calls. Discontentment, covetousness, and anxiety can all result in lives spent for oneself and not spent richly towards the Lord. So from these parables, we then must ask ourselves, are we being rich towards the Lord? Am I being rich towards the Lord? So let me make some suggestions for you to consider. No matter what you think about these particular suggestions, I do urge you, go away today and ask yourself, am I being rich towards the Lord? And I am going to try to dig a little bit, to poke a little bit, because I think that's in the spirit of this parable. The the reality is we're all the rich man. Every one of us has the time and the money and the luxury and the comfort that was unimaginable to the original listener and than anyone else has ever lived. And so even if you look around and see those richer than you, you are the rich man. Jesus is poking at your heart and your soul with this parable. And before I, before I get too, it's a tangent, but I just briefly want to say something about like different kinds of applications. See, there's, there's like applications of discipline and then there's applications of affection. And what that means is like sometimes you have to just do the thing. Like just stop doing the sin or start doing, they're called spiritual disciplines for a reason, right? But then the, the point of sanctification when the Holy Spirit changes your heart is that like, eventually, over time, as God changes you, your heart actually wants to do the thing. So there's two different kinds of application. There's the discipline. You know, you, just, you have to read your Bible. Like, read it. But then there's the affections of the heart, which, as it turns out, you know, eventually you actually come to love reading your Bible. As God changes your heart, you, you want it. And so it's not even a discipline anymore. So as you hear, as you hear you know, both of these things, as you hear this list of things, you know, just realize that like, just because you're hearing a discipline of the body, you know, don't neglect the, the affections of your heart. These things can stem from and lead to a legitimate desire, a, a want, and a joy in being rich towards God. And generosity is such a, such a, a test of the condition of your heart. In, in the Bible, I mean, in the uh, story that we heard earlier from Matthew, which is like the, the same you know, the same parable, right? Just a different account. Uh, one of the things Jesus said in Matthew is that like if the eye is bad, it's like a diagnostic for the whole body, right? Because, because how can you trust God with your soul, with your sin, if you can't trust him with your money and your time and your things? So, you know, your heart is, is storing up something. And whether or not you're storing up the kingdom of heaven and the things of God or the kingdom of earth and the things of yourself is really indicative of whether or not you trust God. So let these applications maybe sting a little bit. Maybe you do need to go home and you need to say, okay, we got to sit down and you know, hash some of this out. But maybe you also need to pray and realize, this is hard for me because I don't trust you, God. If I trust you with my soul, do I trust you with my money? And if I don't trust you with my money, do I trust you with my soul? So what are some ways that we can be rich towards God? One, pray. Pray to be free from all covetousness and worry. Two sides of the same coin. Both of them grasping for the things of ourselves. Both of them remedied with an eternal perspective. Pray that God would make you not only discipline yourself to seek his kingdom first, but to desire it. Pray that you would always think of richness to God 
first before any other plans. Pray that it would eventually come naturally. Pray that you would trust in the Lord in the full times and the empty, knowing that He desires to give you His kingdom. Two, be generous. More specifically, plan to be generous. See, we're asking ourselves, how do I know what God wants me to do with my life? So here's a freebie for you. He wants you to be rich towards the Lord and not to be anxious about your possessions and to give freely of what you have. So write a budget. In that budget, start with how much you give to the Lord. Give richly to God. That means giving to the church and it means giving to the needy. But also don't let that get you off the hook. If you tithe, you know, my check kind of just goes out in the mail. The bank sort of handles that. So it's real easy for me to just Got it. Good. Box checked. But keep your eyes open for these opportunities to give more richly. Care. Care for those who need it. Look for the opportunity to bless those. Bless those who curse you. Bless those who are in need. Be ready to be generous. Plan to be generous. When you go out for the day, start by saying, God, I'm looking for ways to be rich towards you today. And the same thing with your calendar, right? Church gets scheduled. Okay, 10 o'clock, Sunday morning. We all show up here. Box checked. But don't live your life so tightly and so busy and so rushed that you don't have time for the knock on the door or the call of God or the hours that you need to spend in prayer because today it's just not happening. Be generous with your money and your time towards God. Three, broaden the scope in your mind of what it means to be generous and rich towards God. So yeah, be rich with your money. You know, make the money and give it away. Be rich with your time. Write your schedule and be flexible. Be hospitable to your neighbors. Volunteer. Give someone a ride. Rest like God commands you to. Don't use your kids as an excuse to not do things, but bring them with you. Because don't they need to see you living a life for Christ? I mean, how will they learn to be godly and generous and richly giving towards the Lord if they don't see you doing it? So we have so many ways to trade money for other things, and it's a nice way to you know, measure relative value, but dollars are not the only riches that you own. So don't allow your checkbook to get you off the hook for when God asks you for more. Fourth and finally, do not wait until tomorrow. Don't wait until God has answered, what do you want me to do with my life? He won't, first of all. It's never going to be crystal clear. Maybe God wants you to be married one day. Or maybe He doesn't. Maybe God wants you to have kids. Or maybe He doesn't. But today, are you being rich towards God? Maybe God wants you to move to the mission field once you're retired or once your kids are out of the house. Or maybe He wants you to move now. Be rich towards God, even if the riches that you have are not the ones that you want or if the riches that you have are exactly what you want. Flee the temptation to coast into the life of luxury. How much worse will your judgment be to be blessed with great things and still withhold from God? So all these things that I've said, you know, they're examples. It's not, I'm not saying everyone has to do each one of these things because it doesn't work that way. Jesus didn't say, well, you know, buddy, here's how you divide up the inheritance. I know in your particular situation that it's better for you if I do it this way, so gotcha. He said, that's not the issue. The issue is, you're covetous in your heart, and you need to be rich towards God. So these are food for thought, but serious thought, I hope. No matter what station in life you find yourself in, or how content you are with it, or which idol is the one, or which excuse you use, what I want you to take away with is God has given you a certain life, and that life comes with certain kinds of richness, money, time, skills, freedom, kids, whatever, and with what He has given you, are you being rich towards God? So Jesus closes with these words, and so shall I. 
Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourself with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in heaven that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. All these idols that Jesus tears down are things that are fine, good, and all of them would be perfectly suitable ends to themselves. What is the chief end of man? Any of these could be the answer, unless, unless we believe that there is a real God and a true gospel that are worth infinitely more than any of these things. God wants to give you the kingdom. He does not ask you to deny good things and live a life in a monastery. He offers you all of the good things. Take them. The rich man was not wrong for being rich or successful. He worked hard. He was wise with his things. But Jesus didn't soften the blow. He didn't tell a parable about a rich man who learned his lesson. So don't let yourself off the hook either. The feeling of learning your lesson is not the learning of the lesson. So ask yourself today, are you rich towards the Lord? Are your goals and your comfort making you stingy? Do your anxieties and your desire for control and security make you too defensive with what God has given you to invest for Him? Are you tempted, like me, to be more generous with your time and money one day when you have it, when your savings are a bit bigger, when your bills are more paid off, when you get one more raise, and when your kids are a little bit older, when your life is a little bit less busy, when things are a bit more stable? Don't do it. The Lord will come calling when only He knows. He has already died for you and given you the thing of greatest worth. He offers you his kingdom. And so fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. God is so, so rich towards you. We'll be rich towards him. Let's pray. Father, your, your richness exceeds the bounds of what we could ever imagine. You own the cattle on a thousand hills and the city of gold and everything in this entire world is yours and yours alone. And more than that, you are rich in kindness and mercy and you give it all, give it all freely to your people. Father, we are ungrateful, we are selfish, we, we don't understand and a little glimpse of what we do understand, we take for granted. Soften our hearts. Help us to resist selfishness and stinginess and, and worry and control. Help us to be rich towards you as you have been so rich towards us. In the name of Jesus, who is the greatest, greatest riches that could ever be given and that was given to us. In his name, amen. All sermons are released under a Creative Commons, non-commercial, no derivative 3.0 license. If you would like to learn more or listen to past sermons, please visit us at foundationfxbg.com. My gift of grace is Jesus, my Redeemer. There is no more for heaven now to give. He is my joy, my righteousness and freedom. My steadfast love.